Thanks for listening to Faith in the Fast Life. I'm Nick Orta. I'm your host. On this show, we look to break down the stereotypes of what the Christian looks like to the world by receiving testimony of action sports athletes and other athletes and just individuals across the world. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and fastlifeministries.com to give. Hope you enjoy this episode. So yeah, Faith in the Fast Life podcast. We have Jamie Montero here today. We we're so excited to to capture your story and just a pleasure having you here sitting with me. So we'll, we'll just jump right in, man. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's that simple. Like yeah. what you tell me and tell these listeners what God has done in your life, brother. Come on. Well, man, first and foremost, thanks for letting me be here. Uh, man, I'm excited not only just to tell the story, but, uh, you know, what changed my life. I, I don't know if, if you're familiar with this, but the word in the testimony or in the word in the, in the Greek testimony means do it again. And so when we tell our story, whether it be a, a, a parable, whether it be our story our testimony, whatever we're doing, when we're talking about what God's done in us, it gives him opportunity to just simply do it again in someone else's life. And yeah. whether it be being set free from drugs, suicide, uh, anger, whatever it may be, depression. Um, when we share a story of what God has done in us, it does not mean that he's going to do the exact same thing in functionality, but he's going to do something in their life. And so being able to tell my story, I've had the honor over the last 23 years now to travel all over the world and just simply tell that story about how that, man, Jesus saves Heals in, delivers still to this day. He's not retired yet. So Yeah, right? Amen. <clears throat> so, man, where I don't know if you want me to just kind of jump into. Yeah, man, ju- just jump in. Dive in. That's what it's all about. Whatever, whatever God puts on your heart right now to say, whatever that message needs to be, that's what we don't want to be scripted. We just want to be real. Yeah. Just. Well, you know, what's funny is I, I go back as a kid, and my, my story kind of begins just as a little as a little kid and kind of a person that was set up to fail if you will um and it's if if you kind of mark my ministry even if you mark my my story um it can kind of really it kind of has a tagline or a hashtag of the power of names so when i was a little boy i was ornery and uh i my dad was a wrestler. He always taught me how to wrestle. I didn't have a brother. I had a sister. So you couldn't really wrestle with your sister. So would always wrestle with my friends, was always, you know, it didn't matter if I saw an opponent <laughs> or a challenge, um, I, I, I would run at it. So one of, my, one of the funny stories, I don't remember this, but everybody else remembers, we were walking in the mall and there was a little kid that was walking with his parents. And I just took off running and I tackled him and literally just started wrestling with him in the mall while his parents and my, my aunts and my mom are pulling me off this kid and I'm trying to pin him. (laughs) And, uh, my, my aunts kind of just gave me this, this reputation that, that I was ornery. And, uh, if you wanted to find Jamie or if you wanted to find Jamie, find trouble, he'd be in the middle of it. And so I've kind of just, I just adapted to that, that lifestyle, like, hey, I must be someone that's going to be in trouble. So I didn't, uh, even though I had big dreams, even though I had 
a lot of wants. There was a lot of energy inside of me. I always thought, now looking back at hindsight, that honoriness, I don't think it's honoriness at all. I think it was an, an anointing and it was unsharpened. And it was what this, this passion and this, this zeal for life that God had given me, that there was not anything that I was going to be afraid of. I would run at it with everything inside of me with passion. And, uh, but back then, uncontrolled and undirected and undisciplined, it's dangerous. And so at the late age of 11 years old, got into middle school, long story short, <clears throat> just wanted to be uh, independently wealthy wanted to not have to ask people's permissions for anything that I did in my life. If I wanted to go fishing, I didn't want to ask somebody to have the day off. Or if I wanted to go on vacation, I didn't want to ask somebody's permission. And so at 11 years old, this had all these big ideas, like how can we make money? And so we were, at, I was 11 years old in sixth grade. We, we turned uh, my buddy, uh, his, his apartment complex into a party central and every Friday and Saturday, we were having parties, and we'd charge anywhere from 5 to $10 for people to come in, and we'd have a couple hundred people show up throughout that weekend. And we were making hundreds of dollars as little kids, and then we would sell, if they wanted to drink, we would sell them a solo cup for $3. And I got good at picking up the trash, because if they sat that cup down, I'd throw it away. <laughs> now they had to buy it for another $3. We turned his room into the romper room, uh, which something I'm not proud of but it was just another opportunity to benefit off of off of people and uh we were charging people to go up to those rooms to do whatever they wanted to do and uh man i watched a lot of young ladies i'll never forget even though man i was 11 i'm I'm 45 now so over 30 years ago i'll never forget the looks in those girls eyes that were walking up those stairs just smiling and grinning because somebody was showing them some attention somebody were they were telling them words uh, of, of affirmation or what they thought. And then after whatever had been done in that room, they were coming downstairs with their clothes dripping off of them, with tears running down their face. It was such, such shame. And I remember sitting there with what I didn't realize at that moment was conviction. I just tried to shrug it off, whether it be with drugs or, or alcohol, that I could numb myself so I didn't have to feel those things. Right. And so how, so, how old were the kids that were coming? Man, it was crazy. Here's a bunch of junior high kids that were throwing these parties, and we'd have high schoolers and college students showing up. And uh, even adults would come. And it was just a strange environment. And, you know, you, you see that sin, sin does not have an age limit. And, and so many times we, we, we think that we have to restrict things. But sin, you know, the, the devil is not uh, carding people to, to entice them into life-controlling and life-destroying uh, uh, things. And so, yeah, those parties many times, I mean, what was crazy is we would have people pulling up in cars. And here we are, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And the house, there was these apartment complexes are in Regency, and they're, they're like a, a quadplex, so four apartments. And uh, my buddy and his and my other buddy lived next door to each other, and it would be, the house would be complete, or the apartment would be completely standing room only, and then even the outside would be just packed with people. It was like ants, and uh, we'd do that every weekend. And so one thing turned into another, started selling drugs. You know, an opportunity came about where, 
hey, you can make a lot of money and all you need to do is just hand this. And when people are hurting, give them this. When people are sad, give them this. When people need energy, give them this. And it just became one thing after another. And I never woke up, said, hey, I'm going to be a drug dealer. I grew up in a great home. I grew up in one of the richest neighborhoods in the city of Pueblo. Um, but the enemy knew how to entice me. And uh, so the, the crazy part of that is now going back, <clears throat> I grew up uh, in Catholic church, and I would sit there and listen to the priest. And I was always, I, I, even going back, I was always very interested in God. Mm-hmm. I believed in him. And they would tell these stories of, of Jesus and, and all these miracles that he did. And I, would, I was encaptured by the, even the, te- the, the testimonies or the, the parables or the, the uh, miracles that he performed on earth. And I would sit there often in, in mass, and I would look up to a cross where Jesus was pictured dying. And it was a horrific death. But one of my questions was, if God is real, if he's actually real, why can't I feel him? I can feel drugs. I can feel sex. I can feel alcohol. I can feel guilt. I can feel shame. I can feel depression. I can feel anger. But I can't feel God. And they're talking about all these things that he does. And every single one of those is directly tied into an emotion. And I just would sit there, well, maybe it's just not real. Maybe it's just not real. Because everything else that I feel is real. And maybe he just, maybe he's just real for everybody else, just not for me. And so as, as life continued, it continued to snowball, got, you know, angrier, got more addicted, got more bound, got more stuck, and it got more dark. And I was always looking for a way out. And I was always, what's crazy is I was really good at making money um, not just from the drug side, but was really good at always having, I was 16 years old and would buy whatever brand new pair of Jordans I wanted, or, you know, always had my brother-in-laws who would tease me because I was, I would walk in as a 16 year old kid and have four or $500 cash on me at all times because I felt like cash was king. And if I didn't have it, then I didn't have options and options make you dangerous. And so Long story short, I, I grew up, my mom had a radical encounter. My, actually, let me back that up. My sister had a radical encounter with Jesus at a Bible study um, and came home. My mom has an, a radical encounter with Jesus, and now I get a real drug problem. My, mom, my mom's, I used to go to church, you know, Christmas and Easter and every once in a while uh, with my grandparents, but now my mom's going to church two times on Sunday morning. And then Sunday school before that, one time on Sunday night, a prayer meeting on Monday night. We'd have Bible study on Tuesday night, youth ministry on Wednesday night. And it was like, we're going to church. And I would walk, I walked into praise assembly. The pastor back then was Bobby Wilson. And uh, you, you've probably felt this, Nick, is when you're sitting there and you're like, how do they know this about me? Mm-hmm. Like everybody else disappears. They're just talking to you. <laughs> and... I, I, I felt bad for what I was doing. And I would go to that altar and I became a professional repenter at the age of, you know, 11. I, my mom, I'm, I'm selling drugs. I'm showing up on Sunday morning with alcohol still in my breath and, and on a hangover. But 
just going, man, I feel bad, and I don't want to feel bad. And so I'd pray not to feel bad. I'd pray, God, forgive me. Help me not do this again. And then literally leave church and make plans to do it again. So I find this interesting. I, I talk, I guess we don't talk about it a lot, but I guess I think it a lot. Um, definitely not an 11-year-old kid, but I think a lot of times in churches, you know, in that brick-and-mortar building all over the United States and, and wherever else, I think we have uh, a lot of habitual Christians. Right. And uh, the same way that maybe a certain guy or, or girl or woman, whatever, goes to a bar on Friday night after work because that's what they do, the same thing happens in our church is that they go to the church on Sunday morning and the second they leave the church, they forget to be a Christian because it's just a routine that they do. And and that was something that, um, you know, even when we created fast life ministries has been about breaking down the stereotypes of what the world thinks a Christian looks like. Yeah. Because as an outsider in my addiction and my alcoholism, I, uh, I looked into the church and went, bunch of Bible thump, thumping goody goodies that think they're better than all of us. Like, they don't know me. And and unfortunately, there's some certain people in there that are like that, but I encourage any listener who might be hearing this today and hearing Jamie's story that, you know, give it a chance because there's also some great people inside those rooms that can mentor you and guide you and change you. So we'll get back to what Jamie's got going here. Well, you, you know, Nick, you're 100% right. I, I think that in any lifestyle, we, we, we tend to focus on the Christian or the positive lifestyle, and we, we, we instantly focus on the hypocrisy of a few. I'd be willing to say that, you know, 98% of the church is pursuing Jesus. They're, they're really genuinely on their journey, yeah. but we f- tend to focus on the, the few that yeah. don't. But so I, I, I kind of went to church, and uh, I remember going to a youth camp. My mom bribed me to go to this youth camp, paid me to go. And uh, I was there within, within 15 minutes of being there. I was carving my name. And this kind of sums up a lot of my life. I was carving my name. Jamie was here on, the, on this table. And the, unbeknownst to me, the director of the camp, who's now become a very good dear friend of mine, his name's Ray Smith, he comes up, puts his hand on my neck, like not in a choke, but just kind of lets me know, hey, I'm here. And he says, uh, you like carving your name on my tables, huh? And I got punished for the week. I didn't enjoy camp. Everybody else was, you know, having fun. I'm picking up feathers from pillow fights, cleaning urinals with toothbrushes. I mean, it was terrible. Worst week of my life. And uh, he, uh, on Thursday night of the camp, it was the last night, he looked at me and he said these words. He says, Jamie, there's a call of God on your life and you don't realize it. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. I had no idea what that meant. Like a call of God. Like, what, what does that mean? But for some reason, when he spoke those words into my existence, my, my, it just shook my spirit, man. I just wept that whole night. I don't remember anything that happened that night. I just cried, and, uh, <clears throat> which was rare to me. Crying, you know, you, you cast off, you ignore those emotions. And I came home and I said, I'm going to try to do this Christian thing. And uh, I, I kind of sold out to it for a moment. And we started a Bible study at my at Central High School here in town. And it started out with four of us. And we didn't know anything about Bible study. We didn't know anything. Just three other guys that I found that had an encounter with God that week. We said, let's do this. We became great friends. 
And uh, all of a sudden, four turned into about 150 every day for lunch on the fifth floor of Central, right outside oh, wow. the, the biology room. And um, we would just meet. And we'd just re- open up the scripture and just read it. And we'd pray for people. And I would invite them to youth ministry. And they would, they, I'll never forget, one of a friend of mine who I actually used to sell drugs to uh, came up to me and he said, Jamie, you're inviting us to youth ministry on Wednesday night. He says, but Wednesday night's not when I'm struggling. It's Friday and Saturday nights. It's when the party, there's got to be, is there something else that we can do? And I said, well, <clears throat> let me talk to my parents. And I, I, I talked to my mom and said, hey, can we, can we maybe have a Bible study here on Friday nights? And she said, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> they went to dinner every Friday night. And uh, so we started it. And it started out a few dozen. And after probably about a few months, we were running about 200 kids at my parents' home. And they had a swimming pool. We turned the swimming pool into a baptismal. And, and <clears throat> this is what's so funny. I knew nothing about preaching. I knew nothing about ministry. I'm a 15-year-old kid that like, just doesn't want to do bad things anymore. And so people would be, I mean, and again, here's junior high, high school, college students. Literally, every, anywhere a person could be, there was just one rule. You could not be in a bedroom, and you could not be, or two rules. You couldn't be in a, room, a bedroom, and you could not be in a room uh, with someone of the opposite sex by yourself. But you could be anywhere, scattered. And I would just open, this is, this is how naive I was. I, I thought, well, maybe the Bible's broken down according to nationality. And since I'm Italian, maybe I'm supposed to only read the book of Romans. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just open up and read for like 30 minutes, Romans. And one of, without me knowing, one of my favorite books was Romans chapter three. And because of what I saw it doing in my life, what I saw it doing in other people's lives, um, we would do communion. I was scared to death to have grape juice spilled on a couch or a carpet, ruin my parents. <laughs> so I'd hand, we'd get bushels of grapes and I'd pass them around and everybody get a grape and everybody, we had a loaf of bread and they'd tear off a piece of bread and, and we did it every Friday night. And I, I was saying, listen, if there's anything in your life, any type of sin, before you take this, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to be your Lord and Savior. And then ask him to heal you. And had no idea what we were doing. And people were radically getting saved. I mean, it would go, it would start at seven. And there were many times, 12, one o'clock in the morning, there would be teenagers just laid out all over the house, just crying out to God. And something occurred where I just stopped it. It was deliberate. I put up a, a paper in the window. It simply said, Bible studies canceled from here on out. I canceled the, the every day for lunch. My friends can, tried to continue it. It dwindled down to nothing. And I, I just walked away. And this is, sounds crazy. Because of something that occurred in my life where I allowed someone to speak something into me and create a narrative for my life, not just reminding me of who I was, but who I basically who they thought I should be or who I was trying to run away from. Um, I ran directly to it and said, if that's who they want, that's who they get. And uh, man, started dating who is my bride now when I was 17. I was 17. I was so desperate to get out of this life and, and create something else that I actually got engaged when I was a junior in high school. 
and um, thought a relationship's going to pull me out of this lifestyle. And it's, so let me let me have you come back just a second. So, at eleven years old, you're selling drugs, basically having a party house and a and a fourplex, and go to church camp that doesn't really do much, but you the Holy Spirit met you there. Like yeah. you were you were weeping, and that's. That's got to be the Holy Spirit with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And so 15 years old, you come back, and you're now in high school. You start a prayer group, a Bible study at Central that turns into something at your house. Yep. But then you abruptly ended it. And what what do you mean by you abruptly ended it? Like, and why? Why? what was the calling? What was the pull that all of a sudden you said, this is done, I'm out? Someone very close to me said something that I overheard. They weren't directly saying it to me, but they said it in my without in in my attendance without me knowing or them knowing I was there and basically said I wish I wish I could have this person back and that person had so much credibility in my life and just for for their sake that's why I'm not kind of getting into the name side of it um, and or identifying that person but they had so much credibility and honor in my life that I said if that's who they want, that's who they'll get. So you basically <laughs> saying you pulled back away from God and from the Bible study, and to you're going one back person. to your to the old you, to the to the drug selling, party lifestyle, sin debauchery, everything. So this one person, like that's super powerful to me. I mean, that's you know when I when I spoke last night at the church, I kind of talked about that a little bit. There was something that came out with those kids that were in there at the church and. I mean, man, validation does not come from other humans. It comes from God and only right. God. And that's so important for our listeners to hear. Yeah. Because um, so many of us get stuck in comparison traps and everything else and worrying so much about what somebody else thinks of us. And you got caught in that at 15 years old. Tell, tell me more. Well, got caught. It's, I guess, I don't know if I had ever got free from that. As a kid, I just lived up to people's expectations. So, so now you were living up to the expect. So, when you were doing the Bible studies and everything else, you were just kind of break, trying to break out you, of it, yeah, breaking out of it. But you're doing it for you because it was also an image thing and something that, hey, look at what I'm doing now. I'm doing good, yeah, absolutely. But the bad had never really left you, so it was one quick <clears throat> flip of a switch. And I left the drugs, but so think about it like this: <clears throat> I preach a message called the Prodigal Father because. We, we, we talk about the, the story as the prodigal son, the one who ran away, the one who wasted his father's inheritance, right? Yep. There's actually three prodigals in that story. Both sons were prodigals. The word prodigal means wasteful, extravagant. Uh, so you have one that wastes his worth, mm-hmm. another son who wastes his worth, even though he has a relationship uh, with the father because he lives in the house and he never leaves the address. There's no relationship with the father. So he's wasting what could be, right? Um, and then you have the prodigal father who who has this extravagant or considered wasteful love and commitment to his children. Even though one goes and and misuses it, or one, one abuses it and one misuses it. Both of them refused it, mm-hmm. right? So... Here's this story, and so the, in one of the points is the, the prodigal son that left, he finds himself after everything else is gone, 
um, he finds himself in as a slave to this this rancher, if you will, and he becomes he feeds the pigs, finds himself in a pig's pen, and he thinks to himself, "It is better in my father's house than where I'm at right now." Even the servants have it, and so he has this mentality like, "I'm going to go back to my father's house." And I'm going to tell him I'm not worth being called your son. I'm not even worth being your son. Just make me a servant. Just make me a hired, a hireling. That's all I'm worth. And he has this apology that he creates. Like, I'm going to go and apologize, and then I'm just going to work for my dad. And it's better that if I just work for him than do it what I'm doing. And he gets up and he leaves. Now, the, the, the point in all of that is, is, he, you have to not just leave the address of where you are, but you have to leave the mentality. You have to leave the desire of what brought you to that address. Because if, if you just leave the address, the mentality and the understanding and the lifestyle will continue. So he may have left the pig's pen but what brought him to the pig's pen, if he doesn't leave, he just brings back to his father's house. Well, what I had done is I had left a pig's pen, but I brought the mentality with me like, I'm just going to please God. I'm going to perform for him. I just want somebody to be proud of me. I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and be proud of myself. And so when you're saying that validation, it's, it, was, it was more controlling than any drug I've ever done. That insecurity, that wanting to make someone proud of me, wanting to be approved by man, that fear of man, right? So 180% or 180 degree turn from now I'm living for God. Now I turn and go back. And now just going, that's not who I am anymore. This is who I am. This is what I'm good at. And this is what I'm going to do. And it about destroyed me. I mean, physically, emotionally, spiritually, Financially, it almost destroyed me. I end up getting married when I'm 19 years old, thinking, okay, marriage is going to fix it. Marriage doesn't fix it. Have a, a, a brand new baby. By the time I'm 21, brand new baby doesn't fix it. Now I'm just pulling everybody else out into my world of destruction, if you will. And so now it's, I'm not just hurting me. I'm hurting a little girl going to the doctor because she has hives all over her arms and the doctor thinking that there's something physically wrong with her. And the doctor who does not know us says, you know what? I need to talk to you too. Your marriage, the emotional environment that you're creating for this little girl is not just affecting you. It's affecting her physically. Wow. And so whatever you're doing, you need to stop. The fighting, the arguing, the emotions, everything that you're creating for this little girl who's three months old to live in is not just hurting and affecting and destroying you. It's affecting and destroying her and her body is rejecting the environment you're creating for her. And she was sick all the time. And so that in the back of my mind, I went to a wedding and uh, it was a cousin's wedding. We were, I was an usher, supposed to be there 45 minutes early. We showed up an hour late, couldn't even hardly walk. And when I walked in, my cousin, the bride, looked at me and she said, I thought you were a Christian. Hmm. And go back a few steps to what we think Christians look like, sound like, should be like, perfect, right? Yeah. 
I thought that's the furthest thing from what I am and I'm ready to tell the world. And that night I got so stumbling drunk. I have a picture. I'm actually meant to bring it. I was going to show you. Uh, somebody took a picture of us at this wedding and I'm, I'm, I'm basically looking in, in my bride's eyes while she's holding our little girl, three months old, telling her that our marriage is over and I don't want her and I don't want the baby and I don't want anything. And that night I <clears throat> went home and I don't know how I got there. Drove my family home. Do not know, remember anything. Um, chased my bride, Shelly, into the house because we were arguing and it wasn't but a, probably about 30 minutes later, we get a knock on our door, and uh, it's our neighbor. I had taken my little girl, Jaden, her car seat out and put her on the roof of the car in the middle of November at 2 o'clock in the morning and left her on the car to go argue with my bride inside the house. And the neighbor heard our daughter crying. And came in and said, I'm not sure what's going on. But you're not fit to be parents. And I made up my decision that night, Nick, <clears throat> or that morning. I'm done. And so I, I, Shelly went to church, took our baby, and I packed up my bags. And I was leaving. And I was thinking I was being quick. But... Uh, while getting ready to, to walk out the door, whether it be to just leave or I was contemplating suicide, I just was not in a good place. My whole world was dark. And Shelly walked in and she was glowing. I don't know how else to explain it. People don't, some people, whether they believe it or not, it's not for them to believe, it's me. Whether my world was so dark or it was a spiritual thing, she was brighter than anything else I've seen. And in instant, Instead of it making me happy, it made me angry. Like, why her? She's been living the same life as I've been living. Why her? She begged me to go to church that night. And I said these words, Nick. I said, church doesn't change people. Or I'd already be changed. And I said, and nothing's different. Nothing's going to change today. No, I've heard all the messages. I've answered the altars. I've prayed. I've done everything. And maybe it's just for everybody else, but not me. And somehow she talked me into going to church, but my mentality was, I'm going, but this is probably the last time. And I walked in and uh, I sat down on the third row and my brother-in-law and about eight leaders had just come back from a, a revival in, in Brownsville. And uh, it, was no, it was a first Sunday November 1996, I'm sitting on the third row and I'm just sitting there miserable, angry, desperate. I have my head down and uh, they're singing songs, don't remember any of the songs being sung, didn't stand up, didn't sing. And our, the preacher, Pastor Wilson, started preaching, don't remember anything he said, but in the middle of it, I just had my head down, leaning forward on the pew in front of me. And I felt like the Lord said, I need you to go forward right now. And if you go forward right now, if you give everything you've got, I'll change you. And I said, God, I don't, I've tried it before. And he's like, no, you've never surrendered. See, we think of salvation as, God, here's my sin, right? Here's all the bad things I don't want. And we've made Jesus our trash man instead of our savior. 
We give them all the garbage, the sickness, the, the, the guilt, the shame, the regret, the past that we don't want. And we expect him to just take that. But Jesus did not die on a cross just to get our sins and the things we don't want. He died on a cross to give us life and life more abundantly. And he said, come forward and, I'll, and surrender everything. And I said, God, if you change me, I'll change, I want you to change everything. I don't want to look the same, smell the same, talk the same, even act the same. I, I want completely changed. And um, Bobby was still preaching. And I stood up in the middle of his message and I ran to the altar, just started crying out to Jesus. And I, I, I didn't care who saw, I didn't care who came. I didn't care if I interrupted anybody. Usually you have to be bribed or begged to come to the altar. I didn't care. I was desperate. And I ran to the altar, and, and man, everything changed. And, and here's the thing. I had felt clean before, but I never felt whole. And if you think about the 10 lepers <clears throat> that Jesus encountered, they came to him for healing, and he says, Go and, and, and do this, and you will be made clean. And they, they're leaving, and in transit of leaving Jesus, all of a sudden their, their disease leaves them. And one out of the nine come back to Jesus and says, Jesus, thank you. You've cleansed me. you purified me. And Jesus says, were there not ten? Where are the other nine? And all of a sudden looks at this man, and he says, go and be made whole. And the difference between being clean and being made whole, which a lot of us miss when we come to Jesus, is we, we want to be clean. We don't want to feel bad anymore. But this man came to Jesus with a disease originally. He left the first time, and the disease was cured, but he still had the spots. He still had the scars. He still had the... the, the uh, the reputation of a leper, right? But now he leaves and he's been made whole. In my own maybe desired opinion, I think he left and he had no more scars. I think he left and if his ear had fallen off, it was back on. And the difference between him and the other nine is he went back to Jesus, not just for salvation. He went back to him in appreciation and in complete surrender, saying, everything I have is yours. Yeah. And so that was at 21. Life changed. I went home and dumped out every ounce of alcohol I had, flushed drugs Shelly didn't even know about, ripped up pornography she didn't even know, grabbed our, back then, the TV was as big as this table, and I threw it outside, and it was about 12.30. She called her brother, who was the youth pastor, Steve. He's now the senior pastor at Praise, and she called him and said, I, I think he's lost it. He's destroying our house. I was trying, Nick, I had the cable vision, the, the, the cable, and was pulling it out of the drywall. And my fear was, I didn't want Jesus to leave. I was afraid I was going to do something in my life that would cause him to leave me. And I wasn't going to, he's all I had at that moment. And so my brother-in-law shows up and he said, uh, he said, hey, he said, what's going on? I told him. And he said, I had a feeling. He said, let's, let's bring your TV back in. And he said, I want you to watch this video of these baptisms that was going on in this, this revival. And there was a guy in this one baptism where he had 666 tattooed on his head. He was an ex-Satanist, got radically saved. 
um, a woman who was a Buddhist got radically saved and all these testimonies of people that had, their lives had been transformed. And I remember sitting there going, man, I feel ripped off. I didn't realize there was more of God that I could have. And my brother-in-law told me that day, he said, uh, that morning, he said, hey, if you really don't want to go back to who you used to be, I'll pick you up at 4.30 in the morning. We've got prayer at 5. And for my first year at 21, for that first year from that moment on, I went to prayer every day for two hours from 5 to 7 in the morning. And what I realized was I wasn't running from who I used to be. I was running to who God created me to be. And, uh, man, it just, I've not done another drug. I've not done a, I've never had a desire for a drip of alcohol. Everything in my life changed. And as I began to love God, I began to love what he loved. And uh, people ask me, I've been traveling all over the world. I've spoken in 15 different countries, 49 different states to almost 2 million people over the last 23 years. And uh, people ask, where did it begin? It, was, it began at that altar where I surrendered everything and just started pursuing Jesus. I never started chasing me. I, in, in all reality, this is the crazy thing is, is <clears throat> I have credentials with the Assembly of God. I've been on two different church staffs. I've been the national youth evangelist for the headquarters of the Assemblies of God. I, I was the first and the only so far. They created the position for me, not as an arrogance or a boast, but I've never filled out a resume. I've never been to Bible college. I just pursued Jesus. And I, as I fell in love with Jesus, I fell in love with what Jesus loves. And what does he love? He loves people. Yeah. And so that's kind of my story. And uh, that's what I get to tell. I mean, whether, whatever sermon I preach, it don't matter Old Testament, New Testament, it don't matter what parable or what character I use in the scriptures, it all boils down to one thing. If he can change me, he can change you. Feel that man, that's good. It's uh man, just just happy to have you here today. I'm uh, I'm blown away. It's uh for the for the listeners out there, it's even more powerful when you know all the characters but you've never heard the story, right? So like every every person in the story, like I know on a on a personal level. Yeah. And uh so to hear this is just profound and to and to see that and and it's crazy like the the depths of sin and where we can go and hide and as you spoke about you know, you were doing the Bible stuff in, in high school, but you were, didn't really change who you were there. And I think back to, you know, for those who know my story, you know, I went to three different treatments for alcoholism and addiction, and, and uh, I didn't find success in any of that till I found God. And uh, now we have the success when we do it. But one of the things in those circles, we talk about the dry drunk, right? Like the person that, like, gives up alcohol, but they don't give up who they were. So now they're just like this angry person. So that's kind of what I related to what you said with that. Like you'd given up that sin, but you hadn't really changed your heart. You hadn't given yourself over. And I love the fact that you point out, guys, that we're called to give all of ourselves to the Lord. Like yeah. you said, not just the bad stuff. We don't just repent of the sins and then continue sinning. We we want to praise him for the good, the bad, and everything else. So don't forget to pray to him and thank him for the good that he's doing in your life. Don't just turn to him when you need something uh, or something bad's going on and you need help out of it. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an everyday thing uh, and a practice. So hey, one of the things that 
I do with every podcast, and we kind of get to this, and, and I always say that, you know, for a non-believer or a believer or lukewarm or wherever they might be, whoever is listening right now, what's one thing that Jamie wants to leave them with? Oh, man, there's a lot of one things. <clears throat> I, I think one, one of the biggest things that jump off the page for me that transform my life is we don't have to come to Jesus clean. We don't have to come to Jesus put together. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for authentic. Mm. Um, sometimes we're, we're, we're looking for to pray the right prayer, to say the right thing, right? We put on our good clothes to go to church. But Jesus knows the very worst of me. He knows the very worst of us to every listener. And one of my favorite scriptures is it says, Christ died, right? We know he died. But he died for us at our worst. He chose us at our very, very worst. And if he chose me at my worst, my biggest thing that I wrestle with on a regular basis, and I, I'm so appreciative for grace and mercy, but my biggest thing is, is I wouldn't have chose me. Right. I wouldn't have allowed me to carry this message, but he did. And so he sees something inside of me that I didn't even see inside of myself. But as I get closer to him, I'm starting to see it. Until now, I love what Job said. He said, until now, my ears have only heard of it, but now my eyes have seen it. And when you look into the eyes of, of grace and look into the eyes of mercy, right? Here's blind Bartimaeus is crying out, Jesus, son of David, and everybody's telling him to be quiet. And he has this choice to make. Either I can stay the same and wake up tomorrow and be blind, or maybe what I'm hearing, because he heard it says he heard something. What did he hear? He probably heard people getting healed and screaming and praising God. He probably heard somebody say, I can hear, I can see, I can walk. He heard the commotion and he had to believe what he was hearing in order to respond to it. And because he believed what he was hearing, he responded, he cried out. And all of a sudden, I believe the religious began to tell him to be quiet. And it says he had to make a decision. Either I'm going to sit here and remain where I am because I remain quiet and I remain addicted or I remain angry, right? Or I'm going to cry out and I'm going to cry out every, with everything inside of me. And if I wake up tomorrow blind, it's not because I didn't try. If I wake up addicted tomorrow, it's not because I didn't try. And allowing that desperation to, to well up inside of us and it boils down to this is until we hate where we are, we'll never leave. And so he hated, I hated where I was bad enough that I was willing to cry out to the one who I had heard and even seen change other people's lives. And all of a sudden he cries out, Jesus brings him to him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. Here's my, the, the, my favorite thing about that story and my favorite thing about <clears throat> my story and anybody that's listening that, that's willing to cry out. What's the first thing you're going to see? You're not going to see a changed life. You're not going to see life just instantly better. You're not even going to see your scars disappear. The first thing that blind Bartimaeus saw was Jesus. 
first thing that Jamie Montera saw was Jesus. The first thing that this, per, this listener at home that's willing to say, I'm done with this. And if God died for me while I was still a sinner, still powerless, still addicted, at my very worst, he died. Then if I cry out, the first thing I want to see is Jesus. I want to see his love. I want to see his mercy. I want to see his grace. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. And that's awesome. So, Hey, how can uh, the listeners, how can they follow what you're doing? <clears throat> they can, we, social media, we're on uh, Instagram, we're on uh, Facebook, uh, <clears throat> travel all over. We, we, well, I'm not very good at sales, so <clears throat> I've tried to sell sermons and all those different things. We just put everything we've got. I find got. that ironic, ironic because you used to sell drugs. <laughs> right. And sell parties and all this stuff. So I think you're, sell, you're selling yourself short I'm, there. Right. I'm go- here, here's the great <laughs> part. I just love giving it away now. Right. There you it's, go. it's the, you know, freely we've received, freely we give. And so uh, YouTube is a great place to find a lot of sermons, different places I preached. Um, there's podcasts out there, just Jamie Montero, J-A-Y-M-E, Montero, M-O-N-T-E-R-A. We also have a website uh, that, that is just getting up and running, and that's jamiemontero.com. Um, but that's the best way that they can follow us and definitely pray for us. Yeah, absolutely, Jamie. So, so great to have you here today. I want to remind all the listeners of FastLifeMinistries.com. Catch us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Be on the lookout on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for Jamie's episode that we're recording. will be coming up soon. Um, and uh, we just ask everybody to give. And uh, we, we pray that we can get some more support coming into this ministry to keep this moving forward. And we pray everybody has a blessed day. Amen. Awesome.